But if it takes you two more years to execute, or if you got to spend 10 hours on that deal every day, as opposed to an hour, that directly affects everything and the stress level and all that. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how are you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today. David Kislin, how are you doing, David? Excellent, guys. Thank you. Thank well, you for having me. I'm glad to hear it. It's my pleasure. A little bit about David. He is a full-time commercial real estate investor, and he has been one since 1999. His primary focus is on multifamily, some select commercial properties, and land for ground-up development. He uses his own money as well as high-net-worth investor money. His current portfolio, well, he's developed over $300 million worth of properties, and he is based in Boca Raton, Florida. So with that being said, David, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, absolutely. I primarily grew up in Brooklyn. Manhattan, the tri-state area. Where in Brooklyn? Coney Island, right off of Ditmas Avenue. I'm a Russian Jewish, so that's where a lot of our family and relative and friends were. So we moved around a lot between Brooklyn and Manhattan. So constantly being surrounded by real estate and in many cases, beautiful buildings and beautiful structures. I was always interested in the concept of what real estate is, how it works, and the ownership of it, and the stability of it, and the solidness of it, and the concept that you could build something that would withstand multiple generations, especially a ground-up construction. So that always interests me from a very young age. I graduated Babson College in 1994 and finished with a mix of entrepreneurial studies, international business. Because I was fluent in Russian, growing up in the Russian neighborhood, at that time, the Russian market had opened up and there was a lot of opportunities. So I spent about four to five years in Russia trading commodities, primarily with Western Europe, China, etc. And really got a nice feel for trading physical products because you actually had to buy the physical product, move it across borders get it to your buyer, get payment and all that. It wasn't just a paper trading process. What were you buying and then moving? What we call is basically things like hot rolled coil or cold rolled coil. These are things that go to the manufacturing of dishwashers, brake pads, HVAC, precursors to the fabrication process. And we would typically handle large size containers, whole entire boats. 5, 10, 20,000 tons of material at a time. Wow. Okay. And we worked under a conglomerate of Swiss companies because the Switzerland has always been a major trading center for physical commodities. By the late 90s, it became apparent that I wanted to settle down. I got married and it was just a very natural transition to go into real estate. I had been fortunate enough where I had put away a few dollars from my earlier years and I started selectively investing in real estate in more speculative products, but that's where my career started. I looked at your questions and you said, what was your most profitable deal ever? And funny enough, it was probably my first deal ever. Really? 
Yeah, because it was early 99. The stock market had been very, very active. And a colleague of mine came to me and said, there's a loft in Soho that's up for foreclosure. And we got seven days. And the place was in a disastrous condition, absolutely disastrous. So very few bidders came in. We picked it up for a song and a dance. What's disastrous? Describe uh, that. Basically, everything is exposed. The flooring was uneven. There was water leaking from the upstairs. The windows were basically broken. So it was just a complete full rehab. You know, Sounds like they did that intentionally on the way out. It was a rent stabilized slash rent controlled property that somebody had effectively gotten out the previous tenants legally. But once they took the job over themselves, they decided they were going to do it themselves. And it was just a disaster. So they got in trouble with the banks, lenders, et cetera. So what'd you buy it for? We bought it for $400,000, a a 1600 square foot loft in Soho. Wow. And we put in about, I would say $600,000 at that time, which was a nice sum. And we almost immediately flipped it for double that to a famous basketball player who played for the Nets at the time. Nice. In six or eight months. So that unfortunately... uh, Just keep doing that every time. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) I can do this all day long, you know? (laughs) Buy something for four, put in five, six hundred, flip it for two. Sounds good. But by the early 2000s, the market had changed a little bit. And I had decided that I wanted to focus on more value added. So I did a few smaller multifamily deals in Manhattan, primarily focusing on buying existing properties. And my strategy was relatively simple and very effective. And it wasn't too uncommon at the time. It's just about execution. You would buy two properties in the neighborhood. And you would focus on properties in the East Village, the West Village, where there's a high concentration of rent-controlled and rent-stabilized tenants. Now, for some of your listeners who are not familiar with rent-controlled and rent-stabilized, it's a legacy law in Manhattan that goes back to the 40s. And a tenant who occupied an apartment in the 40s or in the 50s or in the 60s could be paying an effective rent at that time in the early 2000s of two three hundred dollars a month for a two-bedroom apartment that the market rate was three thousand mm-hmm. so our strategy was very simple is is that instead of trying to buy out these tenants which was near impossible is you would offer them a relocation so you would buy two buildings one with eight or ten units another building with another eight or ten units vacate one building completely make it basically a vacant building and move all of your rent controlled and rent stabilized tenants to the other building. Legally, obviously everybody's signing all of the proper paperwork, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And what happens when you do that, and we did that on three transactions is the vacant property becomes very attractive to a developer and the rent control rent stabilized property becomes very attractive to somebody who's just looking for long-term cash flow. And you distinguish your product and you maximize that value therein. I typically did not take the full route of developing both of those properties because the exit was profitable enough where I could simply walk away. What are the numbers on one of those three transactions where you bought two buildings? We were purchasing a four-story or five-story building at that time with rent-controlled and rent-stabilized tenants. So the cash flow was pretty low between the 2.8 and the 3.2 mark. 
So we would buy two buildings and then effectively sell the empty building and pay off all of our debt and have a decent gain. So to your question, the total project size would be between five and six million on those projects. Got it. And then when the dust settles, what would you exit at? At that time, we were exiting out at for raw vacant property between the five and the 600 mark per square foot. And we were purchasing the properties at the 250 to 300 mark. Hmm. But I want to stress to you, that would be the vacant property that we would sell at that price. The rent control property, we would be looking at a very, very small return on investment. Hmm. I haven't heard that strategy before. And I lived in New York for a decade and I've interviewed a lot of New York City people and I should have heard of it, but I haven't heard of that before. Are your people still doing that? People are still doing that. And what you find is it's not something that's very attractive to a typical investor because there's no guarantee on when your exit is out. So you have to be patient. You have to go through the lawsuits. So that's why it's not going to be something that you're going to go out and raise capital with. I was able to use my own funds and bank funds on a properly leveraged basis to do that. But ultimately, after one or two successful transactions, or actually after the third successful transaction, I felt exactly how you're saying is, is that there's just not enough opportunity here. There's just mm-hmm. not enough volume to grow your career and make it work. So that's why we pivoted our business and started doing ground up construction thereafter. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's besteverconference.com. Where did you do that ground up construction? Our first project was 519 West 23rd Street. It's called the Highline 519. And it was purchased by Chelsea market. It's 23rd street between 10th and 11th Avenue. Yeah. Okay. That's near Chelsea market. I think It's basically a stone's throw from the Highline park, the elevated yep. park. Yeah. Yep. So when we bought the property, the elevated park had not been fully approved yet, but we saw the value in the neighborhood and that related had already been there with a large rental that had done very well. 
So we took the route of doing a slightly better design building for what the market was offering at that time. High ceilings, exposed concrete, Italian finishes, kitchens, etc. And started that project in 2003, 2004, and finished it basically towards the end of 2007. But we really only delivered the condominiums in 2008. And that project was considered a pioneering project at the time for that part of Chelsea, because mm-hmm. it was a little rough and tumble in that corridor up until that time. Now it's a totally different story, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that project taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about the Byzantine empire that is real estate entitlement in Manhattan and how long it takes things to get approved and the difficulties in dealing with your neighbors in particular because you have a lot of older structures. And when you do ground up construction, you have a lot of issues in the ground movement. Mm. So it definitely taught me a lot about all of the inherent risks that as a real estate developer, you might not see at first, but you Mm kind of have to be aware of over time. Did it teach you just to stay away from developing in Manhattan and move on? (laughs) Unfortunately, no, that that was the next project. (laughs) (laughs) What, What was the next one? So the next project was, I had done so well on my previous projects and I had done so well on my strategy with the rent stabilized, rent controlled and on the 519, I had hit records as far as- How much did you make on the 519? Our cost basis was about 800 to 850 a square foot. And we sold out at about 11 to 1150 a square foot. So we netted out about three and a half, four million on that project. And the banks provided financing. Our equity in it was about that. So we basically got all of our equity back plus the $3 million, And the bank financed about $6 million of wow. the transaction. Well, that $3 million is more than your very first deal in terms of total dollars. Yeah, but you know what the old saying is, is money won is more fun than money earned. I really had to earn that. <laughs> Like the first transaction, I just renovated the place, put it on sale. I sold it a week later. When you're (laughs) dealing with four lawsuits and you have to wait nine months for the fire department to show up to give you a CFO and you have buyers who want to walk away from deals and, you know, just a million things that could go wrong. You Um, loved it so much, you did it again. So what was this next one? So the next one, we decided that we were going to go big style and I was going to go build a 30-story tower in Tribeca. Wow. And we hired a Starkitect, Ben Van Berkel. What's a Starkitect? That's an architect who's a star. (laughs) Okay. He or she brings their own reputation. So let's say somebody like Azaha Hadid, who's passed away, or Stern, or Norman Foster, or Peter Marino. If you are a real estate developer and you want to sell at the highest possible price per square foot in an elite area, by hiring a world-famous architect, you've generated immense amount of publicity, wow. free publicity. I feel so ignorant because that's a real thing. I just searched Google for, and it surely architect is actually a term people. I thought you just made that up. Okay, no, no, I, sorry. No, I wish I would have trademarked it if I that <laughs> Noted. Oh, no, okay, uh, so you, a... you hired someone, right. a architect. got it. Mm-hmm. And we got very ambitious and we basically went full throttle on the project and we received all of the entitlements and support and we pre-sold almost 20% of the building even before we started demolition. And then the great recession of 2009 happened. Ah. 
And we were still okay because we had all of our financial stack was in good shape. We had all of our commitments. We had our equity in place. But unfortunately, the bank that provided us the construction loan was a bank called Chorus Bank. They're bankrupt now. They were a bank out of Chicago. And we had a schedule with them where it was between 90 to 110 million of total construction costs. And they were prepared to finance everything. And the last 20 million was subject to us hitting certain marks. And they fronted us based on our schedule. I think it was for the foundation. We got about three, four, five million dollars into it. I think it was like 4.8 million to be exact. And they declared bankruptcy. Mm. And the funding stopped. And this is basically the greatest lesson that I ever learned is, is I had three other partners with us on this project. That was the time for us to show up or not show up. And my partners all got scared, decided mm-hmm. that they wanted to walk away from the project. So we spent about a year or two marketing the project and we eventually resold it to another developer because at that time it was nearly impossible to get new financing in place. Mm-hmm. And the only way we were going to be able to finish the project was through five or seven years of litigation because the chorus bank would have had to finish their litigation prior to me creating terms for mine. And we just kind of chose to just take a little bump, take our bruises, but walk away with as much equity as we could. And that's exactly what we did. Hmm. What's a little say, bump? How much did investors lose and how much did you lose personally? I lost about $6 million personally, and each investor lost an additional, I would say, $1.8 to $2 million. So I would say each of us lost about half of our equity invested at that time. Got it. Okay. How many investors did you have? We had a total of four investors. Okay. What's and- that conversation like? The conversations with investors, when you realize that that's going to be the result, what's that like? Basically, you lose friends and you lose faith in people's ability to look past a short-term event, which this was in my mind, and it wasn't going to last forever. Mm -hmm. And those conversations, if you know you're at fault, those conversations can go a certain way. But when the whole financial system literally falls apart, and everybody suffers, and even your lender has declared bankruptcy, you have to have a certain stomach and be willing to fight through that. And Mm -hmm. my investors were unwilling to do that. And that taught me a very important lesson. And that lesson is, is that sometimes or many times you're better off doing smaller deals Mm -hmm. where you know that, God forbid, you can always show up and finish the deal or conclude the deal without being 100% dependent on your investors. And that's where I pivoted my business thereafter. And what'd you pivot it to? After that, when you made the comment, were those conversations difficult? That whole process was extremely difficult because I'm a real estate developer. I consider myself somebody who adds value to a project, who takes something from piece of dirt or crappy property and makes it beautiful and makes it long lasting and adds that value. Sitting around for almost two years in lawyers' offices, litigating and fighting. For me, every dollar you spend on the lawyer is $1 less than you're spending on the real estate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that was just completely debilitating and completely just a morale suck. And at that time, my kids were at an age where 
my daughter was a very good tennis player and my wife wanted to move down to Florida. So we moved down to Boca Raton. In 2011, I liquidated the vast majority of my assets up north, and I made a pledge to myself that from now on, I would do deals that would be smaller in nature, more granular, but that I would be the primary investor, like I was in my earlier deals, and that the only investors I would bring on in the future would be people who are more silent in nature or more high net worth. And their investment is limited to their initial cash outlay. And I would never need to come back to them for additional investments. And that's the way I've been structuring my business over the past six, seven years. And that's more almost uh, nine years. And it's definitely helped me sleep better at night. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business? Or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals if you're like most real estate investors because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And Follow-Up Boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or or you can follow up with your investors, and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow-up boss offers experts seven days a week You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. What's the last deal you purchased? So the last deal I purchased was in May. It's 226 North K Street in Lake Worth Beach. It's a 6,750 square foot site. 
and it's basically the epitome of an infill granular site. It's a mid-block site. I can build four units, which I will be, about 4,500 square feet in gross total buildable square feet, three two-bedrooms and one one-bedroom. And we're looking to basically build it out, stabilize it at our rent roll. Basically, upon completion, our goal is to be at a 10-12 cap. After a, a period of seasoning, we like to season our products anywhere between two and three years. And then we look to sell them at a five or six cap and cash out at that point. You say we, who's we? Just myself and my employee. I just have one, one <laughs> other employee <laughs> and my wife, I guess, as well, because she's an inherent part of the team. She's also a real estate broker. Mm-hmm. So it helps in having very close people ensure that uh, rentals and all that is being processed. What's been your favorite project while in Florida? My favorite project is the one I'm finishing right now. It's 604 Lake Avenue in downtown Lake Worth Beach. I bought a site with the goal of developing a hotel there years ago. And again, it was going to be more of a boutique hotel, 20, 22 rooms, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I spent all the money. I hired all of the top agencies, HVS and the different hotel groups. And all of the third-party reports really, really told me not to do that and that I wouldn't be able to justify my investment. So we took a different approach. We did a very minimal renovation to the property, which is basically new roof, new HVAC systems. And we realized that the property was a former restaurant. And one of the things we didn't realize, which was a great benefit to us, is that the property has double height ceilings, so we have net clearance of almost 24 feet. We put it on the market to a restaurant group, and I'm happy to say that a group from New York, a Michelin-rated chef, signed a 15-year lease with us. Nice. Uh, the restaurant's called Kana. For me, it's a great project because it really enhances the neighborhood. It brings a lot to that local downtown corridor, and I believe as a developer, when he develops in a certain area, it takes a certain social responsibility with the goal of wanting to improve that. I think too many developers go in, buy a property in an up-and-coming area and keep it vacant in the hopes that their property price just goes up. Mm-hmm. And here I feel like we've done a great thing for the neighborhood and the community at large by bringing this quality of tenant and this quality of build-out. And everybody's been super supportive. The banks have been super supportive. The local community banks have provided us with the support that we need, which you don't find that every day. And the beauty of it is, is that it's a triple net lease. So once the guy's in there, I wait for the ACH once a month. That's the beauty of a good commercial tenant. So that's the project I'm most excited about. And we're in the active build out of that now. And we hope to deliver that to the market by February or March. Taking a step back, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? This is something that I learned really over time. It's not what you sell it for, it's what you keep. I think a lot of people in real estate, they look and they're like, I need to do a huge transaction. I need to do something big. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to have four partners and buy the best condo or whatever it is. At the end of the day, if you do a large deal and on paper, it looks like you made a million dollars and maybe you did on the statements. But if you needed to have five people around, or if it took you four years, that all should play a factor into it. There's a really intelligent real estate guy out in Palo Alto. He does YouTube podcasts, John McNellis. 
And he came up with this concept and it's called net to me. As a real estate developer, you should always sit down and say, well, what am I getting out of this? And what is my ultimate benefit? Because I've learned the hard way that on paper, a deal could look great. But if it takes you two more years to execute, or if you got to spend 10 hours on that deal every day, as opposed to an hour, that directly affects everything and the stress level and all that. I would say to any real estate guy is put your ego to the side and really think about it's not what you sell it for. It's what you keep. We're doing a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. What deal have you lost the most amount of money on? Was it that $6 million deal? Yeah. 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 Five Franklin plays. Yeah. What's the best ever way you like to give back to the community? By delivering a well-designed, well-executed product and not compromising. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? My website. I also have a Twitter account and an Instagram account. Are you tweeting a lot? Not really. I didn't think so. <laughs> you, don't come, you don't come across as much of a tweeter. That's just me. Uh, no. And as, as a real estate developer, I, I didn't see you no. doing that uh, much. But ultimately, you would just send me something, and I would call <laughs> you anyway. Fair <laughs> enough. I'm in your boat. I don't tweet often or really ever. Your website is jeldevelopment.com. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, cool. Well, David, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for talking to us about a lot of really interesting transactions. You've got some really big league deals that you've done or been a part of. Then what you learned from that. And as you said, it's not what you sell it for, it's what you keep. So think about the opportunity cost, not only financially, but time and emotion and sanity. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, guys.